Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast here in late April. We're kind of getting close to the end here in Alabama, which is a little bit depressing. Uh, but this week, we've got... Mr. Jacob Walker, um, a local snipe hunting legend on the podcast. <laughs> Jacob, how are you doing? Man, I'm great. I'm great. I'm wishing I was snipe hunting, but I'm, if I'm not snipe hunting, I'll be turkey hunting, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Jacob Myers <laughs> over there, how are you doing across the table? Doing great. Yeah, we're going to say Jacob Squared on this. We're going to go Jake. by last names for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But yeah. definitely, uh, it's one of those things. Uh, for, well, let me say this real quick right off the bat. Uh, Jacob, you know, I've seen you and our buddy Josh Holly quite a bit recently, both of y'all uh, being part of uh, Moss Oak Properties and the Alabama Landcrafters uh, branch uh, and office down in Montgomery. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, dude, super excited to do this podcast, kind of talk some turkey hunting with you. I mean, you're a, I know you're a fanatical turkey hunter, but also just an overround bird hunter. I know you recently yeah. got into the whole bird dog thing, which is pretty interesting. Um, which, you know, we'll say that for another episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We could, we could make like a four hour episode between all, all our hobbies that we have together. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. Dude. Absolutely. But, uh, kind of get into this, Jacob, um, you know, some of our Alabama listeners, uh, may know about you, uh, but for a lot of our listeners probably don't know much about you. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what is your background kind of getting into turkey hunting and also, um, back in the day when y'all had y'all's TV show kind of traveling and hunting and everything like how did that kind of form it yeah 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 so um you know kind of like most folks my dad grew up a deer hunter um kind of typical deer dog hunter uh and and you know took me deer hunting a good bit and when i was nine or ten i told him i wanted to go turkey hunting and he went out and bought a box call and tried to call one in and I, i think i hunted for four or five years without killing a turkey um and I think when I was about 12, I think, maybe 13, a guy named Charles Robinson, uh, just an unbelievable turkey hunter, uh, long story short, he, he, he asked my dad if he could hunt some of our land. And my dad said, well, you can certainly hunt it if you want, but you've got to, my boys have to kill a turkey before you hunt it. And so open day of the season, he took my brother, my brother killed one. The next day, he took me, called one in for me, and I started swatting at a mosquito at 12 or 13 years old, spooked it, <laughs> and ruined that chance. The very next day, so the third day of the season, he called one in for me, and I killed it. And, uh, and man, it was, it was just, it was lights out for me after that. That was kind of all I wanted to do. I was a turkey hunter, not a deer hunter after that. So, And then the next day, I called up my own turkey and killed it. So then I, I thought I was just king of the world hunting by myself at 12 or 13 years old and and killing a turkey but but that's the that's kind of the short version of how i got into it um you know just kind of my dad really really wanted to take me but he had no idea he'd never hardly been before and uh and then finally somebody took me under their wing and i wound up killing gee i don't know several probably half a dozen turkeys with uh, Mr. Charles Robinson, um, in the next couple of years, he really, really taught me a lot. And, uh, and, and so, you know, fast forward, uh, 10 or 12 years and, and, and me and a buddy of mine decided we were going to kind of tinker around. And this was really before YouTube and that kind of stuff, just kind of tinkering around with my mom's video camera and, uh, and filmed some hunts and had a good time kind of in, in college and that kind of stuff. And, uh, 
one thing led to another, and we decided we'd start a show. And, uh, and did endless season outdoors, traveled all, traveled all over North America, um, hunted several states, on up into Canada, and, uh, and, and had a blast. So, and then, and then my wife got pregnant, and she said, you got to grow up and get a big boy job. So that was that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Jacob, I, I want to ask, because you mentioned something early on that I found very interesting, which was kind of like that mentor, uh, Charles Robinson, if I, if I wrote his name down correctly. Uh, mm-hmm. How first of all, how old was he when he started taking you kind of under his wing, and what was his style of hunting like? How how did he like kind of, you know, I guess you as a young turkey hunter kind of uh, mold you or into the way kind of he was hunting? Like, what did that look like? His style? Yeah. So he was a passionate turkey hunter, uh, and, and Charles was Charles has passed away now. He was probably he was probably in his late fifties or sixties when he started taking me. Um, but, but a typical, very passionate, I mean, just a turkey killing machine, but a typical older hunter. I mean, he, he didn't, he didn't call a lot. He, he didn't use a mouth call or I never saw him use a mouth call. He, he, he used exclusively from what I remember a pot call, uh, a slate call and, uh, and, and just kind of one of those guys that just typical old school set there and called not a whole lot. And, um, but wasn't scared to go. I mean, we hunted all, we hunted rain. I remember, I remember one time we were hunting and it was raining and we, and, and it was lightning like 200 yards out in the field. I mean, we were, I saw it hit the ground and he was like, I'm not going anywhere with these turkeys. <laughs> I was scared to death, but he was just that passionate about it. Um, but, but he was, a he was, I would call him kind of a typical old school you know, kind of sit there and wait him out if he had to. Didn't didn't get super aggressive, and and I'm kind of the opposite of that. You know, I've got I guess I've evolved over the last 25 years. So yeah, and that was one thing I was going to bring up is you know it seems like Charles grew up in that age and probably started targeting the age when there just wasn't many birds. So you mm-hmm. you had like a lot of those guys, those old school guys that got you know that were hunting in the you know the 40s, 50s, and 60s on into like the 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, those are some of those guys that you just see. You know, if some of those guys are still around, especially some of the guys that were hunting in the 60s, and 70s. They're just very, very patient. They, like you said, they don't, they're not doing a whole bunch. And they're, it's like that patience game is how you kill a bird. Like whether he was talking yep. or not, you find the sign, you you play it kind of low key, and you kill that turkey. Um, yep. And and that's why I wanted to ask, kind of, if that was his style, which it was, what you're saying. So how did you start molding your style of hunting? Because you're very much like mobile, running gun, like more of like an aggressive kind of hunter. Yeah. Um, you know, how did you kind of mold that style into what that is? Well, I think you kind of nailed it on, you know, I remember Charles saying one day when we were hunting and this was, I guess, in the late nineties, something like that. Uh, yeah, I'd say late nineties. And he said, Jacob, you, you just don't realize that, but you're in the good old days. He said, back when I was growing up, it was, it was not nearly like this. And he said, it won't always be like this, but he said, right now we're in the good old days. And looking back, Kylie, he was exactly right. That was the good old days, the late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, there was just turkeys everywhere. And I think that's kind of how I maybe turned into a little bit, you know, I, I've, I've certainly hunted with people that are more aggressive than I am, but, you know, I was extremely blessed. You know, I hear you guys talking about hunting public land and that kind of stuff. And, and man, y'all are a different animal than I am. It, it takes, it takes so much skill to do that kind of stuff. But, but I was really blessed to, um, you know, my father bought and sold large tracts of timberland and hunting land. And so we always had a lot of land to hunt. 
and and a lot of turkeys, especially back there, just kind of generally speaking, you know, when I was growing up, there was just a lot of birds. And so, you know, it, you weren't just scared to death to spook one. If you spooked one, you just kind of go to the next one. Um, it wasn't uncommon to hear, you know, seven or eight turkeys gobbling in the morning. And so it, it kind of allowed you to be or allowed me to be a little more aggressive and, and really, really get after them. And, um, you know, the more I hunt, the more I realize, you know, you can be aggressive, you know, I, but it, but you know what? And I've, I've seen it, I've seen it the other way around, you know, with Charles, I've been fortunate to hunt with a, a lot of people with Tom Kelly and, and some of those guys, they don't say a word hardly, you know, there's quite a, and they kill turkeys. And so there's, there's all kinds of different styles and they all work. It's just kind of picking out the style of hunting you like, not necessarily one's better than another, but it's just the one that you like. And I just prefer to, you know, if they're not going to play, just go find another one or try to at least. And, and that messes turkeys up sometimes. You know, I've, I've spooked plenty of turkeys trying to be aggressive on them, but it's just what I like to do. Yeah, that kind of uh, ties into what we talked about this past week with Mike Pentecost. He was talking about no matter what you're going to do, make sure you're decisive about it. And you make up your mind yeah. and you say, hey, when I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Whether that's going to be like that kind of more old school style of, you know, killing with your seat, like Pentecost is talking about, or if you're going to be this kind of new aggressive tactic kind of thing, uh, make up your mind and be determined about it. But to kind yeah. of just further illustrate the differences between those two, uh, can you maybe further describe like your tactics and like what, what you actually do when you're being aggressive on a turkey? Like, what does that actually entail? <laughs> You know, it just depends on the situation. You know, there's a lot of different terrain that, that, that I'll hunt. I used to hunt back, back when we had the show, we would, you know, probably hunted almost every morning and afternoon. And, uh, and really probably if you look back on it, 60, I would say 60, maybe even 70% of the turkeys we killed were, you know, at least 10 o'clock and later, a lot of them in the afternoon too. And that was a lot of just the typical running and gunning type stuff, you know, uh, calling every hundred yards and just, just walking till you get one. And it can be, you know, it, it can, it can really get boring if you walk, you know, four or five miles and not hear a turkey. But when you do strike him, like we all know, you got a pretty dang good chance of, of killing him if you can strike him in the afternoon. Um, so it all depends on the situation. I know that's not, not really the, the answer you're looking for, but it, it just, it just does, you know, in the morning, I'm not scared to be aggressive to them, even even a little bit on the limb. I'm not going to just blow their head off, Colin, but I'm not scared to call to them on the limb a little bit. Um, and when they hit the ground, I'll, I'll almost always hit them hard. As soon as I, if I can hear them fly down, as soon as I hear them hit the ground, I'm, uh, I, I certainly let them know I'm there with a pretty aggressive call. And again, whether I'm right or wrong, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, somebody told me, they asked me a while back, they said, what is your goal this year? And I said, I don't really have a goal. And that, and that's the, that's the whole fun part about it is, is just to be out there and be present, have a good time. Uh, just enjoy yourself. Um, whether I'm right or not wrong, you know, just, just have a good time. And, and to me, having a good time is trying to make them gobble, you know, interacting with them, um, not just sitting there and waiting on them to gobble or waiting on them to come in. So that, that, that's, that's, that's my two cents at least. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I want to start with this. Um, when it just comes to the ag aggressive part of turkey hunting, let, let's start with how you're calling on them. Let's say off of the roost. Uh, mm -hmm. let's, 
let's say that you go out in the morning and you know things are kind of waking up are you just like really starting to beat on them with some uh, locator calls are you letting the woods kind of wake up you're going to try to jerk a gobble out of one like what what is your plan every morning yeah and again it kind of depends on it you know if if i feel like i've got to get on one when it's when it's still really early you know early in the season we hunt a lot of uh just open swamp bottom where where those trees you know before they have leaves on them you can see a couple hundred yards of the woods sometimes and i feel like i need to get them to gobble early just so i can kind of get in in their bubble you know i'll, I'll certainly hoot early you know it does seem like i hadn't heard people talk about this a lot but it does seem like if you start hooting it to them too early, it kind of, it kind of winds them down a little bit. You know, that a, a shock gobble is a perfect word for it because you literally are shocking them into gobbling. And so if, sometimes if you go in there and you hoot and nothing and you hoot and nothing and you hoot and nothing, they, 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 they're, they're, they're not, they're not shocked. They're not, they're not really, you know, so a lot of times you want that first hoot, or at least I do to really shock them and to really be loud and aggressive um even with the call a lot of times um you want it to really shock them and to be loud and aggressive that first time they hear it and if you if you hoot to them before they're ready and then you hoot a minute later and a minute later and a minute later now it's not a shock anymore it's just it's just another noise um again that's just my opinion but yeah i i will hoot to them if i feel like i need to get to them early and, it, and if it goes on into the morning and I hadn't heard anything, I'll, I'll certainly, you know, try to make something happen. Now, on the flip side of that, so, you know, talking about hooting too early, that might, you know, kind of wind them down a little bit. Uh, what about, do you feel like there's kind of like a sweet spot uh, to use those locator calls, especially like a hoot on those early morning hours and maybe waiting too long to do that same uh, like hoot sequence or anything? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes. I mean, it, you know, I know I find it with people that they that they don't even carry a hoot. You know, they they just want the the woods to wake them up. But but uh, you know, if 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 I'm sitting there and it's been what I feel like, you know, ten minutes after what I would consider gobbling time, and I hadn't heard anything, maybe even five minutes, just again depending on the situation, and I hadn't heard anything, I'll I'll I'll, I'll certainly try and give them a a hoot. And again, it's a it's a loud hoot. It's not a it's not a little quiet you know i really want to shock them into gobbling um and so that that that's what i do uh and, and same with if they're if they're not gobbling and <laughs> i've hunted with josh holly a, a fair amount the last couple of days and and he'll attest to if they're not gobbling i get antsy really too quick and and i and i'll admit to it i mean i, I if if you know if, if it's 10 or 12 minutes after what i would consider gobbling time i want to move and man that has bit me in the butt so many times you know it, I'm, I'm learning just to stay still stick it out you know even even hit them hard with a with a glass call i like a good glass call or a good loud box call or something like that um really try and make them you know even if it's even if it's later it's still before fly down time it is good to start off with a sometimes with a a light a light tree up or something like that but those turkeys, they can get cranked up in the tree too. Um, again, it's it's all trying to locate them when they're on the tree to me, um, and really getting that loud shock and making them gobble. Um, and, but usually with a so when it comes to locating them on the tree, uh, let's say you get one gobbling on the limb, 
what are you then doing? I mean, are you trying to get just right up on him or, or are you looking at the map and trying to find strategically like where he might come to or what's that look like yeah. for you? You know, usually for me, and again, I'm, I'm, you know, we usually have plenty of land to hunt. And so, and, and, and most of it I've hunted for a really long time. And so I know it pretty well. Um, and I'm, as long as there's not an obstacle between us, it's not the end of the world if I don't get as close as I can, but it is good to get close. I'd rather get closer than, than farther away, but you know, I usually get as close as I'm comfortable getting, you know, especially if there's not an obstacle between us, if there is, you know, try and get across it, whether it's a Creek or a, you know, five-year-old clear cut or whatever, just try and get that out of the way. But, uh, you know, if they want to come most of the time, they're going to come, whether it's a hundred yards or 300 yards, um, in my opinion, at least. So I, I'll try and get as close as I can, but if I can't, or if it's too much, too light or too, you know, not enough cover or whatever, it's not a big deal. You know, they'll, they'll usually, like I said, if they want to come, they will come. Um, whether it's a hundred yards or 300 yards. What, uh, I forgot to ask in the beginning, what kind of terrain are you hunting typically? Uh, just, you know, like around kind of your stomping grounds, kind of describe that for folks. so We have a better picture of the wood you're in. It really flat for the most part, really, really flat. It's uh, I'm, I'm central Alabama and there's not a lot of hills at all. Really flat, mostly wooded, mostly pines. There's some hardwood kind of like I said earlier, there's some hardwood bottoms that are real, real swampy. Um, and those are my favorite, not as many turkeys there as there used to be, but, but, uh, but it's, it's flat and, and for the most part wooded, uh, a few fields, but for the most part wooded. Is it pretty open woods? I mean, are you able to see like 200 yards through there or what's that look like? Yeah, the hardwoods are real open. You know, the hardwoods that I usually hunt are, are, are wide open. The pines, you know, unfortunately, the place, the, the big place that, that I've leased for a while, the guy won't let me burn, which which is a whole nother subject. You know, I've gotten big into the management side, burning and that kind of stuff. But that side really needs a fire. Um, but but the places that I have burned uh, really starting to open up and you can kind of really start start to see through the, through them pretty good. So but but for the most part, flat wood, flat woods is where I'm hunting. Mm hmm. So, uh, in those flat woods, I mean, are you, are you using a decoy most of the time or what's that look like? You know, I don't, um, certainly not against it. Uh, I, you know, I, I will, I will, if I take, you know, a kid or my daughter, my, my nine year old has kind of become my life when it comes to, to turkey hunting. Uh, I've got a nine year old little girl that killed her first turkey this year and, uh, and, and I will with her sometimes with the, you know, the, the one that she killed. She killed on on youth weekend, which we couldn't use because it was ten days before the season came in, uh, or or less than ten days, and, uh, and 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 caught it in without a decoy. But but I don't carry one. It's just personal preference, you know. Probably more laziness. <laughs> I just don't feel like carrying one. Um, and and in the woods that I hunt, you know, a lot of times they just you don't need one. Um, so so probably hadn't picked one up unless I'm with my daughter in three or four years something like that so. yeah well what's that look like uh i'm kind of getting a little bit off track from where i was originally going but uh with without decoys in that kind of flat open woodland type habitat uh what are you doing to or are you kind of like hiding the hen we talk about that a ton especially when it comes to hill country where 
you know, you're setting up where when that, that gobbler comes around the edge of the hill or he pops up over the lip, you know, he's right there and you can shoot him. And, and so you don't need a decoy to draw him in from a long ways off. Uh, are mm-hmm. you doing anything like that? Uh, like trying to find a spot where you're like hiding the quote unquote hen? Yeah, that's right. You know, a lot of times if, if, if I'm hunting an old woods road or something like that, try and find a place where it curves or something like that. You know, the, the biggest, the biggest struggle is, you know, I do have a big pasture that I can hunt and, uh, you know, if I don't have a decoy with me then, and again, I've taken them. I mean, I have, I have absolutely nothing against them, um, taking them out there before and, and, you know, those strutting decoys are just, they, they can be poison on them and those big fields. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, certainly if I don't have a decoy, which I usually don't, you know, I'll, I'll try and kind of get into a, a, a tighter spot where they've got to kind of, kind of, you know, come around a corner or over a ridge or something like that, which there's not many of around here, but, um, but yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, when it comes to calling at birds, you know, you were saying that once they hit the ground, you like to really get aggressive with them and kind of start burning them up with that call. Uh, when you do that and, and you get them gobbling, do you like cut them off or do you call or do you basically call them up to the gun barrel? <laughs> you know, I've gotten to where I call a little bit more than I used to, especially without decoys. You would think that that would, it, it would be the opposite. The older I get, you'd think the less I would call, but, um, you know, it just, I've the, the, the really good hunters that I've been with, um, I, and I've been real fortunate to hunt with a lot of really cool hunters, um, you know, cuz and Michael Waddell and, um, you know, some of those bigger guys that it's amazing how much they call like almost cringeworthy to, to, you know, especially me earlier on in the year being trained up by somebody like Charles Robinson who hardly ever called. Um, but it's amazing how much they call even without a decoy. Um, and I kind of have kind of gotten to where I'm a little more like that. Now, when I get them, you know, 50, 60 yards, I'm going to shut up. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say a word, but them, they're going to keep calling. They're going to keep calling. I mean, the, 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 the Waddell, I hunted with him earlier this year, caught a turkey in no decoy. And he, and he was probably calling every 30 seconds, even when that turkey was at 40 yards away and, and, and in, a, in a field, I mean, it was like, if it would have been anybody else, I'd have probably just, you know, reached over there and yanked the call out of his mouth and told him to shut up. But I mean, it works. Um, it, it's, it's the more I hunt, the more I realize being aggressive is, is, is if you want to kill turkeys. That's, that's the way to go. Now you're going to spook a lot of turkeys and it's easier for those guys to be aggressive because they're probably only hunting place for two or three days and then going on to the next place. And so they're spooking a lot of turkeys doing that. But if you really want to get a turkey killed, you know, really staying hard on them just seems to work more than it doesn't. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, again, it, it's all, man, it's all just about having fun. That's, that's what's, that's what, you know, people always, you know, they're asking, what's the magic. It, that, it's just having fun and going out there and, you know, we're all on the same team, whether I like to call a lot or you don't or whatever, use decoy, mossy oak, real tree. We're all on the same team. It's just all about having fun. Um, and, and so just go out there and have fun. But me personally, I love, I love making them gobble. And it seems to be the more aggressive people kill more turkeys, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about that style of hunting, man. I mean, that's that's the style of hunting that really kind of kindled my fire for turkey hunting. Is starting out like I started out aggressive, dude. Uh, like mm-hmm. burning them up, wanting to hear them go. I didn't kill that many back then, but it, I had a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Well, and also, yeah. I'll say this: that's like to me, like the the sexy aspect of turkey hunting. Like, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting down to like you know, nobody likes to deer hunt turkeys. Okay, yeah, we're yeah. like you're just kind of like what Charles probably used to do, where you know, just very subtle calls and just pretty much kill them with your seat, which is fine. Like we, again, we just had Michael uh, or Mike Pentecost on last week and he does that quite a bit in the right situations. But mm-hmm. I know guys that do that all the time and they kill turkeys, but it's not, I'll be honest, like from my perspective, it's not the most fun way to kill a turkey. Like, you know, yeah. if you're sitting in one area for multiple hours at a time, just cause you know, they're coming through, maybe you got a smaller property you're working or you just know that they're in this area and you're not going to leave. I mean, I get it. But if you're doing that yeah. day in and day out, there comes a point, like, if someone's willing to do that, they've got a ton of passion for it, and clearly they're, they're willing to do that kind of, like, style of hunting. But for a yep. lot of guys, I mean, you talk about, like, kind of getting burnout. I've actually, I personally have seen from this year a handful of people I know. Uh, not like, no like, no, no one, like, real big, no big names here, but some guys I know that get burnt out from turkey hunting. Um just mm-hmm. from, just from the aspect of I'm, I'm not going to say so, some of it of course is not having the success and also part of it is just you know for some of the guys it's it seems more difficult than not uh when it has then the patience factor it plays into a fact uh yeah. where, where you hear some yeah. of these guys like I'm, I'm thinking of some guys right now like like uh, uh jared smith who's been a guest in the podcast he's a turkey killer and he's like the most patient dude i've ever seen like for turkey mm-hmm. that, oh, yeah. that guy he'll hang with him in a pine thicket all day long. Yeah. I mean, yeah. talk the most quietest, softest calls, little clucks and purrs you could do, and he'll kill turkeys coming in there, but they always come in slipping. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot yeah. of those purrs he comes, yeah. he kills, they come in slipping. And again, when it comes to this turkey hunting, kind of like elk hunting, is like the aspect of that vocalization is what makes it exciting. Um, yeah. But uh, again, yeah. There, I guess there's a fine line too, like knowing what you're capable of doing. And also, like you said, you know, if you're playing it real aggressive, you know, there is a, probably a higher risk of, uh, you know, spooking birds, uh, but also I guess you got you know a high re- or a high reward of potentially uh, or a high reward potentially of calling in some birds um, that yeah. maybe previously you would have sat there and just kind of been hushed and sat there for you know hour hour and a half. They could have walked by you and then been out of you know hearing range by the next time you called again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I tell you another thing that that does work. Talking about moving or sitting sitting still. You know, especially on a morning that's really muggy and 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 got a lot of humidity or really cloudy or whatever, and they're just you just don't feel like they're going to gobble a lot. I will walk and then sit down for ten minutes, and then and then walk another couple hundred yards and sit down for another five or ten minutes. But just kind of give them a little bit of time to kind of get worked up and gobble. Um, sometimes that, that seems to help, especially on those mornings that aren't just a crystal clear bluebird type day. Um, just kind of give not, not, not sitting there and deer hunting them for, like you said, for hours at a time, but, but just give them, you know, whether you're sitting down or standing up, just kind of lean against a good tree and, and be ready and, uh, and give them five or 10 minutes. And sometimes that's just kind of, whereas when you're running and gunning, you might miss them. You, you, they might, they might hear you call, look up and just kind of go back to pecking around. But if they hear you call a couple of times, kind of get that blood pressure going, um, that, that seems to help sometimes, mm-hmm. especially on those cloudy, muggy days.
Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master call and success call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com, use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, I want to ask you, Jake, real quick about um, how do you play like this, like more like running gun style, more aggressive style calling and hunting on days when you have, you know, higher wind uh, velocities? You know, when you're talking yeah. 10 plus mile an hour breezes, uh, I know we've had a ton oh, of that recently and it's been pretty, yeah. frus- uh, pretty frustrating because even in the mornings, me and Andrew hunted a spot. Uh, on yeah. a, uh, around some mountains and it was you know a totally different habitat than what you're hunting in but you know it was supposed to be nice and calm and dude i mean before daylight i mean trees were whipping back and forth mm. and i'm like yeah. unless we're on top of them we're not gonna hear a bird like, it's just, yeah. oh, i was so upset and uh, uh, that yeah that is so frustrating and that and you know typically on a morning like that i'll <laughs> it's usually a good morning to sleep in, but if I'm there, you know, I'm going to go try and try and get one with my eyes, you know, try and find one in the field or something like that. Cause there's nothing more frustrating than not being able to hear, you know, they, they I've, I've heard these studies done where, you know, they, they definitely say that turkeys gobble less on a, on a cloudy muggy day or whatever, but they kind of have a, a lot of people say they kind of have a hard time distinguishing if, turkeys actually gobble less on a windy day or if it's just we just can't hear them and don't know they're gobbling but but yeah ball it is very frustrating and, and you kind of got to hang that running gun mentality up especially when you get up around the 15 mile an hour wind you know you get that 10 mile an hour wind you get a break in it every now and then you get called but but when it's whipping there, there's there, that's that's i can't think of much more things that are more frustrating than a, a windy morning I'd, I'd rather have cloudy all day long just because you know they might gobble less, but at least I can hear them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm right there. But I'll me. usually hang it up and go try and find a field on a on a on a windy day. Yeah, see if I can find one that wants to play. Uh, when it comes to striking birds, uh, you mentioned that earlier, and this is one of the main things I really want to talk about because uh, this is something that I I used to try to do a lot more than I do now. Um, I've had a little bit of luck with it, but not tons of luck. But it's something that I I want to improve on. You know, if if nothing's really happening that morning, or if I can't get on one. And I got to go and start trying to find one, you know, that process of going up and, and striking a bird. So let's say, you know, you were talking about you kill a lot of turkeys 10 a.m. and after by walking around and striking them. 
can you walk us through that process and then we'll kind of break it down from there? Yeah. So again, when I call for the first time, it's kind of like an alley, you know, and there, there might be people that are driving down the road in their truck and they're beating against the, the, <laughs> the steering wheel because they disagree with me. But I, I want to really, that first call to be, to, to, to get them going, to really be, you know, if you kind of work into it sometimes, I, I might yelp one time just to kind of pick their head up, you know, kind of imagine a turkey, a long beard, he's out by himself and he's picking around, picking grasshoppers, you know, scratching through the leaves, whatever. A lot of times I'll yelp one time, just, yelp, 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 just to kind of pick his head up. Now, pop, 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 pop. And that, and that'll really, a lot of times that first time he hears it, he just can't help but gobble, especially if you're close. Um, and, and so that first call, it's again, you know, I've heard cuz talk about, it's like a rubber band. And every time they, the longer they go without gobbling, that rubber band gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And as, as they start hearing things that don't make them gobble, like a crow call or an owl call or a, or a turkey call, it gets looser and looser and looser. But when you really pop them hard that first time, a lot of times they just can't help but gobble. On the other side of it, it's sometimes you got to get their temperature up. Sometimes they are just kind of not thinking about ladies. They're out, you know, like I said, picking grasshoppers or whatever and, and sometimes it does take a little while and that's why i'll sit down sometimes just kind of get that temperature up and then pop them real hard pop, 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 pop. and a lot of times that that'll get a gobble out of them um i'm a big glass call guy i i like i like a glass call for running and gunning um i know a lot of folks like box calls box calls are great they're just you know i'm they're just not for me they're just they're just too 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 big and clumsy so um but I, i'm a big glass call guy for for locating them when you say that you go and sit down in a spot like you'll sit on them for 10 minutes are you calling during that 10 minutes or are you hitting them with something yeah. and then and then sitting down and kind of waiting yeah yeah so i'll i'll usually you know hit them hard when i sit down give them a couple of minutes hit them again give them you know call every every two or three minutes, you know, for around 10 minutes, you know, not time that or anything, but just kind of just give them a second to kind of get that temperature up a little bit. Um, and, and I don't do that all the time, but especially, like I said, if, if I feel like I'm in a good spot where there should be a Turkey and there's nothing gobbling, especially on a muggy day, um, I'm not usually going to give them more than 10 or 15 minutes, but, uh, but, but a lot of times, if you just give them just a little bit longer, just besides just running the gun, especially if you think you're in a good place, you can eventually kind of get one fired up and cranked up. And, 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 and a lot of times when you do that, he's got hands with him and he just kind of gives me a courtesy gobble. Um, and so a lot of times if you sit there for a while, he'll eventually just throw one out there and you're not going to kill him, but at least you know where he's at. So Jacob, can you maybe uh, recall and, and maybe, Talk about one of those last turkeys that you've killed where you've kind of struck him midday or later in the morning doing like what we're talking about now and kind of how that played out uh, and you killing one of those birds. Because um, I'm curious to kind of see like what an actual hunt looks like when you do this and it's, and it's successful so you can kind of play it yeah. together. Um, You know, I did kill one this, this year probably about 9 o'clock in the morning, which usually I don't hunt. That's, that's kind of the – 
you know, with a full-time job and kids and all that kind of stuff, it, it's, it, it's getting harder and harder to, to do any, you know, midday or afternoon hunting. But, uh, you know, I, I, I killed one, I guess it was opening morning. I always take off opening day and I just hunt the first two days of the season all day. Um, but, but, uh, a buddy of mine killed one, um, almost off the roofs. And then we went and ate breakfast and, and went and, and, uh, to another little spot and kind of did, you know, called one time, nothing. And, uh, and I think the first time we called, they heard me call. I think I was close enough. And we walked about a hundred yards and I, and I hit my glass call hard, just, yep, 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 yep. And, and they cut me off and they were close. I mean, they were probably a hundred yards. And, uh, and, and, and as I was sitting down, I heard hens yelping. <laughs> I said, well, you know, they just, that was kind of what I call a, a courtesy gobble. You know, they, we just, we kind of got in this bubble and we called really, really hard, really, really aggressive on that glass call. And they just kind of couldn't help it. And they just gobbled. And, uh, and that was one of those rare situations where, I just called the whole flock in. Um, there was, I don't know, four or five hens and, and three long beards. And, uh, I think a lot of it was, we just got that, we got close kind of on accident. I mean, literally we're less than a hundred yards when we struck them. And, um, and, and the whole, the whole flock came within, you know, five minutes, one was dead. So, but, uh, but that's the, I guess that's a, that's the one that's most recent on my memory. Um, and well, that's a, that's a good example because one thing that you just mentioned is you now looking back at the hunt, you feel like they probably heard you that first calling sequence. And the first calling mm-hmm. sequence did you do that you did was it just a few yelps or did you do the cutting as well? No, no, it was it was a pretty aggressive. Um, you know, I was pretty aggressive that that first calling sequence, and and you know I don't know maybe it just maybe maybe they got one I didn't hear them I doubt it. Um, but, but maybe that just kind of, it got their attention and then it kind of gave them a few minutes to settle back down and kind of tighten that rubber band, like I was talking about. And then, you know, once we got in their bubble, you know, those long beards, probably we called the hens in. I mean, it was the, the, in fact, my buddy filmed it and you can see the hen, the two hens coming in front, you know, and they were yelping and cutting and all kinds of mad. Um, but, you know, I really feel like those gobblers didn't really want to gobble, you know, they just, it, we were so close and so loud. It was kind of like, it's kind of like they, they almost did it on accident. Sometimes I feel like they just can't help it. You just get so loud and so close. They just, ah! <laughs> they just let it out. And I feel like that was the case. And if it wasn't for the hens coming, we probably would have never called them in. Um, but, but we just got lucky you know, and, and, and for whatever reason, tick that lead hen off and she wanted to come in and, and see what all the commotion was about. And the, the Longbeards came in the rear strutting. And, uh, so but that was, that was that, that one situation, you know, most of the time it's, they'll gobble up, they'll kind of pick their heads up and they'll gobble that, that first time they hear it, I feel like, um, but not all the time. Um, but, but, you know, you never know. You never know. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not like you got a camera on them. It'd be one thing if you had like a cell camera out there on video mode or something like that, and you could kind of see after the fact of what <laughs> happened. But I will say this: I I now see a very um, I, I see a resemblance with your style of hunting, kind of with uh, Cuz Strickland. We've interviewed Cuz a few times, uh, okay. and I know yeah. I know he loves you know 
he's an aggressive guy. He loves, you know, using his uh, tube call and just, I mean, mm-hmm. on it. And I, I, we've talked to him about that too in the past. And it's like one of those things I remember him talking about. He likes doing it depending on, and there's a lot of factors, you know, wind being a huge factor. And then also just like what that day is looking like. If it's a, if it's a, one of those mornings when they're just burning up the woods early in the morning, it seems like those birds may be a little more responsive even later in the day. Um, even if there might be mm-hmm. snares that give you a courtesy gobble, but those days when there's not much talking, it could take more work from you to get one to come out. But one thing I remember him talking about is when he's working in an area that he, depending on how he feels, how that day's going to go and how the birds are acting already is how often he's going to stop and call. If he feels like it's pretty mm-hmm. hot and it's kind of those quiet days, you know, high pressure, and he can really get that call out there you know, over a long distance, um, mm-hmm. he might go over 300 yards and, and call versus one of those days when it's like, you know, there's some wind, they're not really talking a whole bunch. He might go 80 to 100 yards and do that same cut sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's like just changing up and kind of having that versatility with that style. Again, still being aggressive, but you're not being like um, irresponsibly like running through the woods yeah. and just calling yeah. your head off. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And a lot of it's just, you know, especially it's amazing to me at least how much further a turkey can hear me calling versus how far away I can hear him gobbling. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever been with a buddy and been calling and the buddy's, you know, 50, 100 yards away from you and and you're calling and he, and he's gobbling at your calling, but you can't hear him, but he can hear your gobble, your calling. Um, and so a lot of times, especially kind of as we get older and our ears get worse, it's, it's stopping more often just so you can hear, not, not necessarily for so they can hear you, but so you can hear them. Um, I, I, my ears have certainly gotten worse. I'm, I'm 36, so I'm certainly not an old man, but they have certainly gotten worse over the last, uh, three or four years. Um, and so a lot of times I stop more often just, just to make sure that one's not gobbling at me already, especially like you said, you get the you know, this time of year where the foliage is really coming out and it, and you get in those thick woods and maybe even get a little bit of wind. Um, I was hunting this morning, hunted a, a cool place this morning with a buddy and we hunted in kayaks. He's got a, a cool little place with a big Creek that goes to the middle of his 300 acres. And, uh, and we were hunting in, in, in kayaks floating down this Creek and it was a really neat little hunt, but we were down in the Creek and I was telling him, you know, I don't think we can hear turkeys gobbling because we're we're so far down. You know, I, I felt like they would have had to been a couple hundred yards away if we would have heard them gobble just because of the terrain. And so a lot of it's, you know, making sure you can hear them because uh, they can almost certainly hear you if, you, if, if, if you're close. And Jacob, by the way, how does your style of, again, kind of running gunning, how does that change or adjust when you're in different areas or different regions? I know you hunt a bunch of different states. Uh, but like when you get out of that flat, you know, that kind of flat country, flat lands and get more in like the hill country, um, or mm-hmm. maybe some of these other States, how did, how does that like adjust or, or do you pretty much do the same thing no matter where you're at and how you're hunting? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we were, we were talking earlier before the, the podcast. Um, I used to hunt out, especially in the show. And even after the show, we, we met a bunch of farmers in South Dakota. And, uh, kind of long story short, we met, had, had a good relationship with them and went up there for six or seven years in a row. And, and I'm, I'm going to take my daughter back next year, but anyways, hadn't been in a while, but the first year we went, we killed turkeys, but, but we had to work for them. 
Um, we were being really, you know, it's a lot, like you said, a lot of wide open country. We were hunting in the prairie. So it's a lot of river bottom and everything else is just wide open. And, uh, and we, and we were being super careful, uh, trying not to spook them, really trying to get around, just not calling too much, just kind of a little, just, just trying to figure the situation out. And the next year we got a little more aggressive and the next year, a little more aggressive. And, you know, what we learned is you go out West, a, a guy that's used to hunting the South goes out West or, or really anywhere in the Southeast. You got to learn to, you know, you can get away with a little bit more movement and a lot more calling. That's what's so fun about it. You can really call those turkeys in and really, really, really get aggressive. In fact, not only can you get aggressive, you need to get aggressive in my opinion. Um, and, and it, and on several situations, you know, we've gone in there and called a flock of 20 of them up, you know, if you just get aggressive enough, where in Alabama, that, that might happen one out of a hundred times to call, you know, a whole flock like that in. So, um, I think especially out West is there, there's almost no such thing as being too aggressive. And that, that's what's so fun about it. Um, especially, you know, we would always go in May after the turkey season in Alabama was over. And, uh, and you could just kind of cut loose and have a good time with them out there. So I would encourage everybody, you know, we just went, we hunted some public land, but it was mostly just knocking on doors. Um, and, uh, just asking if we could, we'd always ask to trade some work to, in order to turkey hunt. And nine times out of 10, they'd say, yeah, don't worry about doing any work. Just go kill a turkey and have to have a good time. So, man, you need to take them up some, uh, you know, Alabama homemade pecan pies up there, dude. You might, well, you might we, get away yeah, with some I, yeah. So we, I, that's what I learned to do is I would take, uh, fig preserves up there. I'd make a bunch of fig preserves and, you know, they, uh, most of them aren't shy to the whiskey, uh, take, <laughs> take a bottle of whiskey or two up there. Oh, uh, and, and, and that, that certainly seemed to help a lot, but, uh, but yeah, something that, you know, that, those old timers, that's kind of one of the tricks to, to learning to get in front of, you know, on some private land out there, most of them, they're just good old farmers and they really, I feel like you're better off not offering money, but offering, I always offer work. Can I, can I work for a day to hunt for a day? And every now and then they'll say, yeah, <laughs> you better be ready to work. Um, but most of the time they're like, no, go right ahead. And if they do, I always have something with me, whether it's, you know, we went uh, pheasant hunting last year, pheasant and duck count hunting in North Dakota, hunted a ton of private land. And I brought like, I don't know, eight or 10 bottles of homemade muscadine wine that I made, fig preserves and some whiskey. And whenever we got done hunting, I'd say, you know, what you want? And they would always, they'd get, you know, and so, and, and if I ever go back, I guarantee you I can hunt in that place again because it what I didn't give them a thousand dollars. It was you know a bottle of homemade muscadine wine that I'd made. Um, and so it, it's it's uh, I think those folks out there, those good old simple country folks, and I know I'm kind of getting off track here, but I think they really enjoy that and appreciate that more than money because um, I don't ever talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have anybody to talk to out there. So, um, that's my thoughts, though. Yeah, I've got a a cup. Well, one of our buddies, uh, Kyler um, Mopart, 
uh, or Moppert. I keep saying Mopart is Moppert. <laughs> From the Louisiana Bow Hunter podcast. <laughs> Give him hell. Now, um, he goes up and they had a lease up in uh, Illinois. And I don't think they actually paid any money for it. I think it was a lease agreement to hunt the property, but pretty much they would just bring up. I remember correctly, he was like crawfish. He's from Louisiana, uh-huh. like crawfish and like gumbo. Like they'd bring up a ton of food. Yeah, and they would like just give the landowner like a crap ton of like Louisiana, like kind of and see, yeah. bring up seafood, shrimp, and all that stuff for him. And yeah. that, and that was yeah. kind of their agreement to have you know three four hundred acres of some really good whitetail property to hunt on. Yeah, that's pretty incredible to get whitetail property. It's a lot easier. I tell you a, a quick story. The first time we ever went to South Dakota, and that was kind of the main spot that I used to always hunt. We uh, we went up there. We were supposed to be with somebody. Me and a buddy drove up there, and he was going to fly the what guy we were hunting with. We got tw- it was a twenty four hour trip. We drove twenty three hours. We were an hour away, and the guy called and said, "I can't make it. I'm so sorry. Y'all are going to have to try and find public land or whatever." So. We went and we hunted the hills uh, in South Dakota a couple of times, uh, I think a day, and it was 50 mile an hour winds. And we finally just went to uh, the local John Deere dealership uh, there in South Dakota. I, I'm not going to say where in South Dakota. I'll just say South Dakota. And uh, and walked in and, and, I, and I told the lady at the front desk and I said, I'm looking to to trade some work for some hunting. And she said, uh, son, uh, hunting season isn't in. And I said, well, yeah, it is. And she said, no, hunting season's in the fall. And I said, no, I'm not deer hunting. I'm turkey hunting. And she said, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Alabama. And she started just laughing. And she called to some, like, Ethel or somebody in the back room, Ethel, these boys <laughs> from Alabama drove all the way up here to shoot a turkey. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. And anyway, she was like, call this guy. The first number she gave me, he had 6,000 acres of river bottom. And he was like, you want to shoot a turkey? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, come on over. And, and I got to his house and he handed me his rifle. He was like, here's a rifle. And I was like, well, I got a shot. He's like, no, this will shoot farther. Shoot this rifle. So, no, 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 that's not, no, you can't do it that way. But it's just, it, it's just neat and funny how, you know, those people just, they, they see him really as nuisances. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah, we, we met those folks and, and wound up, I think the last year I went, I had like seven miles of contiguous river bottom to hunt. Um, and I mean, more than I could really even handle, but, but it was all off of permission. Um, so we had a, that's funny, man. We had a similar thing in Wyoming. The first time we went to Wyoming, Jacob went blowing through oh, like Guernsey, Wyoming going like 25 over the speed limit <laughs> and this cop pulls us over and he gets out and you know, he sees we're loaded down and everything. He's like, where are y'all from? And you're oh, like, you know, tag. driver's license, tag yeah. driver's license in yeah. Alabama. He's like, what are y'all doing out here? And Jacob's like, well, we're going, we're going hunting or deer hunting. He's like, came all the way out here to shoot a deer. Yeah. <laughs> like, couldn't believe it. It was hilarious. But yeah, well, it's yep. funny. Yep. We've heard that about, uh, I haven't. Well, so we went to Oklahoma and we hunted that one time, uh, hunted Rio's. And we've heard a lot of similar stuff as what you just said. People think of them as a nuisance. Like they got the round mm-hmm. bales out um, in the hay fields and stuff. And the turkeys like get on top of them and crap all over it. The farmers yep. like hate them. Um, well, yeah, you're right. This was a kind of an interesting thing is, is they, they, they do hate them. But where we hunted, this guy had a big feedlot where he would kind of finish his cows out with, with, with grain. And, um, 
and he said the the turkeys eat my grain and i kind of thought to myself you know a, a turkey they can't do that much damage to the to the grain but he said in the winter time they'll flock up in flocks of three or four hundred and we would we we he, he wouldn't allow us which i don't think it would have been legal anyways but he wouldn't allow us to hunt his hunt his feedlot but we could hunt you know on the property that was that was close by it and so we would set set up you know five or six hundred yards away from it and sometimes a turkey would kind of come off of that feedlot and there was times we would shoot turkeys and their crawl it would be a softball size crawl full of nothing but grain from the feedlot and um and i got to thinking about if that's a pound of grain that they're eating a day 300 to 400 turkeys that's 300 to 400 pounds of grain that they're eating a day seven days a week in the wintertime and so yeah i mean they they are a nuisance um a, a big time nuisance that's a lot of money so um I, and that, I think that's why he wanted me to shoot a shoot a rifle and not stop at the two bird limit he <laughs> 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 oh, like, boys you take home as much as much turkey <laughs> as you want take, that's right that's just, right just whack but, and stack them man god yep, that's yep, funny yep. Uh, but that's kind of the difference. We kind of got off. That's the difference. The main difference, in my opinion, between out west and, and back home is is just there's no such thing as being too aggressive. Just go. Hey, so. one, one thing about uh, going out west, because I know we got listeners who are planning on doing that and, and maybe some who, you know, might be piquing their interest because they're all it's a very affordable and very doable trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make something like that happen uh you know it's not like getting some kind of big time deer permit that's like six hundred dollars it's a lot cheaper mm-hmm. than that but going out there uh, especially if you're hunting let's say the more arid western states like one of the dakotas or oklahoma kansas uh when it comes to finding turkeys i'm just interested on your on your take here because when we hunted oklahoma we had some private land some really nice private land we could go to that was managed for i believe deer and quail and uh that they, they were great habitat and we would go to one of them and it it was slammed full of turkeys. And then we'd go to the other one and there's, there wasn't a turkey on it. And they hmm. were very nomadic out there. And it's like, if they weren't on the property, then like you just, they just weren't on the property. Uh, yeah. and so you kind of have to be willing to relocate. At least that's what we ran into. I mean, have you seen anything similar to that? Like stuff people should be prepared for? You know, this is, and, and this is kind of the reason we quit going and I don't have a clue why. But the last we would go up there and like every year it got better and better. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And uh, and the last year that we went, I think there was four of us that went and we killed two turkeys, which was just I, I can't even describe it. It just absolutely bizarre. You know, it's, it's like going to your brim hole and every time you've ever been, you've caught 20, 20 fish and then you go there one day and you catch two. Um, and I have no idea what it was I, other than just a, they had a, I have no idea, but, um, you know, it is, it is weird. You know, some places out there were better than other places, but you know, the main thing to look for is in, in any of, you know, any of the places that I've been out West, you know, whether it's Kansas or, you know, South Dakota, North Dakota, any of, you know, Wyoming, is 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 really finding those river bottoms i mean and it's pretty obvious you know especially if you're if you're hunting the prairie you know you get into the black hills and that kind of stuff and obviously it's all going to be pine trees um but but really if if you can find the river bottoms uh, on your onyx or whatever and 
and go ahead and start calling those people. You know, like if, if you're if you're just now calling them, you're probably a little bit too late. I shouldn't say that you're, you're not too late, but but I, I would usually start, you know, in the fall, start start going through my list of people to call, and um and and really just following the following the river bottom. Just just find that tree line and just follow it. And I would follow it for. 30 or 40 miles sometimes and just call every single person on that, on, on that river bottom. And, and again, my line was always, can I trade you some work for some, for some, uh, for some hunting and, and, and most time it worked. So hey, Jacob, actually, that's what I was going to ask you is, uh, to, to me, there is an, or a lot of times if you call somebody that like, you know, you're calling to a different area or different, you know, it's of course different zip because they see a number like a two Oh five, two, five, six number, wherever you're calling from. And mm-hmm. uh, they don't answer, so you get a voicemail. And I was going to mm-hmm. ask, what is there? There is a secret to this, and I, I, I've kind of <laughs> got my thing. Dude, I listen. This I like. I, I love. I love. I love sales, and this is like you're selling yourself, bro. You're trying to, yeah. sell, trying to sell yourself to get some access. What? Yeah. What is? Yeah. If you don't mind sharing, like, what is your art of like? You got to have some kind of some kind of spill you do for for leaving a voicemail to get that's funny. Back. You know, and 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 you're right, Jacob. It is an art. It, it is. And, and I do the same thing with real estate. I, I make a lot of cold calls on folks that, you know, I see they own a hundred acres and just call and see, are you ever willing to, 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 um, sell your property or whatever. But, you know, the, the question of leaving a voicemail or not is always like a big question mark to me. And it's kind of funny because, there's not a lot of people that do that. There's not a lot of people that call in general, you know, it's usually I take four or five buddies and I'm the one that's setting everything up, but I've never really had somebody ask, do I leave a voicemail or not? But I always wonder, should I leave a voicemail or not? Um, because you don't want to, them to have four or five random phone calls from the same number, you know, or, you know, a couple of days or whatever. But I guess most of the time, if, if I'm way ahead of schedule, like right now, for instance, I'm going out of state in the fall to hunt pheasants and I'm already calling people. I called a few people today and if they don't answer this far out, I'm not going to leave a voicemail. Um, but once I get, you know, and I'll probably try them again in a couple of months or maybe a month. And so they might not recognize that number a month later, but, but, but that, I guess that's kind of, um, that's the way I would answer that, I guess is, is probably wouldn't leave a voicemail until it's kind of coming down to crunch time. Um, and again, it, it's, it's not asking, but it's, it's, you know, what can you do for them first? And, and, and what I can do for them is offer them to work on their property, you know, to, to help them, you know, we've helped change out combine implements and dug post holes and, 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 and in doing that, you'll really establish that relationship and if if you can really get to work on somebody's property you've basically got an open key a key to the gate anytime you want to as long as you take care of the property that's the other part is obviously not trashing the property not driving on it if you're not supposed to drive on it not rutting it up you know certainly not leaving trash um just taking care of it and being thankful absolutely i'll say this the art i'll I'll put this up the art of leaving a voicemail is you're not telling them that you're calling about getting access to hunting property that's not okay you, you don't you say that you don't get a call back very often that's, yeah that's not all right so so you're you're ca- I, i'm curious now so you're <laughs> calling me uh hey this is jacob walker leave me a message yep go ahead 
So, but, but, hey, you know, hey, Mr. Walker, this is uh, Jacob Myers. I'm actually from Alabama. Just want to give a uh, call to uh, touch base with you real quick. Going to be coming up in the fall. I'd love to discuss something with you. Uh, give me a call back, you know, sit my, give my cell phone number, okay. and uh, you have a great day. And it leaves, yeah. it, it leaves it open-ended, like, okay, he's coming up. Yeah. Like, what, what's what's this guy talking about? I got that. I'm like, yeah. he's coming to my house. No, I know, <laughs> but that's what, but listen, you, you, but you, listen this, this is the thing. Let, let me tell you right now. So this is the secret of phone calls, guys. This is, I'm giving you some, as, as Holly would say, the juice juice, okay? As Josh Holly would say. That's, that's Andrew's new favorite thing to say to uh, do. He's after I listen to that. Anyways, yeah, yep. listen to the episode with Holly. Andrew's over here saying, oh, I got the juice juice. Anyways. <laughs> but when, when, you're, when you're calling somebody, the one thing that I highly recommend for everybody, it, you got to have a personality for it. If you don't have a, and not to be yeah. mean about nobody, but if you don't have a good personality, like a li- lively personality, mm-hmm. yep. you're, you're probably not going to do good at phone calls and you might not do that good even on knocking on doors in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're trying to sell it yourself. Like within three to 10, well, on a phone call within, yeah, three seconds in person, 10 seconds roughly, they, they got to like you. Um, yeah. But you, dude, you got to be smile. If you're going to, if yeah. you're leaving a voicemail, if you're talking to them on the phone, this sounds stupid. Have a little mirror in front of you. Have your phone in front of you. Whatever, and make sure you're <laughs> smiling when you're talking, like I am right now. And it makes you sound so much more lively, and you don't sound like overly serious. Okay, and this is how like, about that? It's all about the yeah. tone. The tonality is yeah. huge. So yeah, I'm, I'll put that out there for everybody. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this podcast and take notes just on that part because you're you're exactly right. And there's so few people that are really willing to ring the phones. I've got an app or not an app, but, a well, it's, it's, I'll tell you, it's, it's white page premium. It is. It, and it, it's, it's very little money. I, I think it's like, it's, it's, it's hardly anything. I can't remember how much it is, but it's hardly anything. You can get cell phones off of it. Um, white pages premium. And, um, and if you're willing to make the phone ring, you know, not, uh, I would say probably 70% of the time, I can get somebody's phone, cell phone number. And, um, and, and like you said, if, if you're, if, if you kind of have that personality and you, and you're going to hear no, I mean, you know, you, you, Jacob, you hear no, I'm sure plenty of times, you know, in, in, in business or whatever, but if you're willing to hear no, you'll eventually get some yeses. Um, and that's kind of, I think that's business cold calling one-on-one, but, but it, it, it is, it certainly is right there. You got to make the phone ring if you want to get permission, especially out out west, to not have to you know chase the same public birds as everybody else. So yeah, and this all comes from like me back when I was doing sales and like again doing very very well with cold calls. Uh, the whole mm-hmm. aspect of like all this kind of putting together. But I'll, I'll say this: you talk about white pages uh, premium. I'll tell you another one that's actually free to use and it works outstanding. Not only for getting yeah. phone numbers, but when you're using it on Onyx and you're trying to find. Like you get the tax information of someone's address, you can find them. Their whole, their whole. It sounds weird, but I can get their whole family. I can get multiple, sp- like the spouse contact information, all that. It's called a uh, fastpeoplesearch.com. So hmm. uh, go over there and actually look yourself up. You might be interested what you find out. Yeah, yeah. And, and and while we're on that, I'll say another one. I think it's Data Zap that they actually are pretty successful, relatively, probably thirty percent on getting emails, um, which I've never gone that far, but, but I've, I've gotten, you know, you, you can get them off of, uh, I think it's data zap where I've, I've found them before. Um, so, uh, but yeah, there's all kinds of stuff, usually a cell phone and, um, and that, 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 but that's, that's really interesting that you say you don't tell them what you, you're calling for. Cause usually I do, you, you know, usually my line is, Hey, this is Jacob Walker. 
me and a couple of my buddies are coming up from Alabama, and I think we're going to be hunting around close by. And I was wondering if we saw a turkey on your property, if you would mind if we went hunting. That's usually my voicemail. Sometimes I get a phone call, sometimes I don't. But but I, I do like the idea of of, of of not giving up exactly what you're calling for. Kind of get that curiosity in somebody. Absolutely. I'll say this, and then we'll wrap this episode up. It's the curiosity factor. It's just like, dude, yeah. it's just like, dude, we're out there fishing, dude, or you're out there calling for turkey. Now, actually, this would be opposite of what you're talking about being aggressive, but it's like, you're just putting, you're, you're just putting that little, you know, uh, you know, a couple of yelps out there just to get that bird's attention. Like, okay, I want to come check on that in just a little bit. Or, you know, you're fishing, like, you're just trying to you know, be subtle in your approach. And that's like the whole thing. It's like, you're being subtle and it gives you the opportunity that when they, if they, if they do call you back, if they don't call you back, that's fine. You just call them again and you still haven't told yeah, them exactly yeah. what's going on and maybe they answer, but it gives you the opportunity to be able to sell yourself and what you're trying to do and what you're looking for on the phone with them when you can get real, real feedback back from them. And they're not there sitting there thinking on the voicemail, like, Oh, I don't really want to call this guy back from Alabama. It might want to yeah. come on my, you know, hunt on my property. You know, that yeah. I'm redneck. I don't want him up here. <laughs> so, uh, but when you're on the phone, you'd be real sweet to, I'm telling you, like, especially women. I love getting on the phone with a, Older, yeah. older lady, dude. Listen, sweet talk to older I, I, ladies. I'll, I'll say this real quick. I, man, it, man, this is for the outro. When you talk about the outro, <laughs> dude, I'll tell you. I had a girl. I had a, a woman up in uh, Tennessee. Actually, I called originally, and I uh, just said I want to come by and, and talk to her about her property. Got there, just wanting not even hunt her property, but use her property as access to get some public land. And she's like, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah, no, that'd be great." This older lady. I hunted that spot like four or five times. Every time I came back, she had, now this is also, you know, fat Jacob here. She had cookies waiting for me when I got back to the truck. <laughs> Bro, she was awesome. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is the thing that cats me out, my man. That's great. But yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's good. But, that's uh, good. It, it's, it's fun. So, but uh, Jacob, again, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know we spent yeah, some, man. some time on here. Hopefully gave uh, listeners a different perspective, both at not only being a little aggressive, but also, hey, you know, if you know, they want to extend their season a little bit and try something new, go out west. Uh, there's a lot of cool yeah. opportunities. And like you said, you know, you don't always have to do the, the public land route. You can, you know, try to knock on doors or call around. And we kind of went over that. And it's it's definitely worth somebody's time uh, to be able to do that and, and get some access lined up. Yep. So, yep. Yep. Awesome. Good deal. Yeah, this was great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, uh, Jacob, again, thanks for coming on. Uh, and guys, uh, we appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. Make sure you check out our Wednesday's episode of the podcast coming up just in a few days. And I'd like to say every single week, y'all stay sucky. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year, and guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners 
listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.